Today's episode is brought to you by Alexandra Park BJJ. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is a full contact martial art and combat sport that was developed in Brazil in the 20th century. With roots in Judo and Japanese Jiu-Jitsu, has been developed and refined into a unique grappling art with the aim to allow a smaller and weaker individual to beat a bigger and stronger opponent with the application of proper technique. Based in Muswell Hill, North London, Alexandra Park BJJ's classes are designed so that you can develop your fitness levels, balance, coordination and flexibility in a no-pressure environment and to provide the opportunity to start a new sport at a reasonable price. At Alexandra Park BJJ, we aim to be inclusive so that everyone can benefit from this incredible art, not just the athletic or ultra-competitive. To book your free class, head over to alexandraparkbjj.co.uk or email inquiries at alexandraparkbjj.co.uk. Welcome to Audiobookish, an audiobook review and discussion podcast looking at audiobooks both big and small, as well as radio plays, narrative podcasts, anything audiobook-ish. This podcast may contain spoilers, rants, curse words, mispronunciations of names and places, and more. Hello everybody, you're listening to Audiobookish. My name's Fahed Rahman and I'm joined by Poppy Knight. Hello. And today we are going to be reviewing Do Not Resuscitate by Morris Saatchi. Do you want to read out the blurb for this one, Poppy? Yes, so. Morris Saatchi is dead. He is standing in front of the gates of heaven. Arrival halls worse than Heathrow. Cues overcrowding, a tidal wave of paradise seekers, ID scans, voice and facial recognition, x-ray examinations, background checks. It all seems like a bad dream. His tests expose abnormalities. He is charged with multiple breaches of immigration law and detained pending a full jury trial. The verdict will reveal the biggest secret of all time, why some people go to heaven and others to hell. Do not resuscitate is a bold statement Murasachi, a towering figure in the worlds of business and politics, frames his unsparing self-portrait with the conceit of a celestial trial in which his application to pass through the gates of heaven is heard before a jury featuring luminaries like Marilyn Monroe, Pablo Picasso, Chairman Mao and Margaret Thatcher. In seeking admission to heaven, Saatchi offers a defence like no other. And I'll just read out a short bio of Murasachi. Morris Saatchi graduated from London School of Economics, where he won the Macmillan Prize for Sociology. He went on to become a governor of LSE. During his time in advertising, he transformed the industry, taking Saatchi and Saatchi from an 11 staff company to being the biggest agency globally. He worked with Margaret Thatcher and John Major on four consecutive general election victories. In 1996, he entered the House of Lords and later became Shadow Minister for the Treasury and the Cabinet Office. He became co-chairman of the Conservative Party and chairman of the Centre of Policy Studies. His campaigning efforts in Parliament led to the passage of the 2016 Access to Medical Treatments Innovation Act. And uh, we were given an advanced review copy of this audiobook. And Morisachi is the narrator as well. So um, it's quite a short book. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a bit of an odd thing because it's sort of like a 
fictionalized autobiography <laughs> would you say because it's like the autobiographical stuff i think is true but kind of mm-hmm. like the conceit in which it's framed yeah. is kind of unique mm-hmm. yeah definitely um and i guess we'll get onto the plot probably very soon in that sort of structure that you talk about um but first of all i just want to say that i think it's no surprise that my political views are wildly <laughs> different um to sarchi's and especially with you know the places i grew up in the colliery band i was part of etc i wouldn't put a certain person from that blurb on the jury to decide who deserves to make it into heaven or not. Um, and I don't want to get into it too much, but I just wanted to say that, A, just for the record, um, you know, of not endorsing the politics in the book, um, and B, as kind of a content warning, um, especially that jury choice, because it did affect me when I heard it. And I know some people will have a greater reason to be upset by it than I do from their direct experiences. So yes, just want people to be expecting it um, when they listen. Uh, But one thing I really liked about the book is that it interrogates the idea of morality kind of in theory to to a certain extent away from political, um, you know, binaries um, and things like that. So we'll definitely go on to talk about that more. But yes, you can take a lot from this book, even if some or most or all of your views kind of differ from um, the politics of the author as well. So I thought that was an important note to just start it off with. But yes, the plot. So it's this kind of idea that you have um, going to heaven as being a immigration sort of process. And I thought it was quite Philip Pullman-esque to have, you know, kind of angels as bureaucrats and stuff like that, that kind of um, concept in it that I thought quite interesting. And yeah, you have basically Saatchi's own interrogation of his own morals and effectively asking that question of do I deserve to go to heaven kind of thing, as well as putting going to heaven as this immigration question as well as a love letter to his wife who has passed away so it's a lot of things rolled into one but yeah i thought a really interesting concept yeah very kind of like i'd be curious to kind of find out why he decided to structure it in that way so we start off i I kind of had a a bit of a hard time getting into the book because he does start off with a we've listened to a few books now that have had really strange opening sequences mm. where it's kind of a lot of like um guff coming up so like the first part of the audiobook is basically him kind of almost reciting immigration rules mm-hmm. yeah i don't know why authors like front load that into the audiobook <laughs> it's like really kind of strange maybe there might have been a better way of doing it and yeah yeah he structured the scenario in terms of right this qualification that you need to have to get into to heaven there's like too many people trying to come through the gates and we need to have a process for kind of filtering out deserving candidates from a less deserving candidate and i just thought so we're recording this in uh, march 2023 for kind of like future listeners and the the british government has just decided to to go ahead with legislation which is i will come out and say evil um it's evil kind Mm -hmm. of anti-refugee uh legislation that kind of will really outside um most international standards and i did do a little bit of immigration law so i do understand a little bit about um the Mm. system but it was just kind of it's curious listening to him going through yeah. That kind of a, all, it's kind of, you mentioned like, um, Pullman-esque. I've, you know, yeah. it kind of brought me back to like Kafkaesque or Orwellian kind of like mm. faceless bureaucracy, kind of having that in mind in here and kind of what's happening in the wider world and yeah. how that might have colored my perception of it, um, mm-hmm. a bit. 
Yeah, definitely. That was certainly in my mind when I was listening to that beginning part as well. I didn't necessarily find the same objection that you had with the front loading of that information. I can certainly see how it would come across that way. But I kind of felt it was more that it was quite immersive um, because I felt like we were one of those people in this queue, you know, being faced with, you know, show your papers kind of thing. So I I personally felt like that kind of worked, but I can totally see why you felt that was just a a load of lists at the start. And also because it is so different to what is I think the meat of this book which is kind of the trial um, that he goes through for it but yeah definitely it was very poignant listening to it at the moment with the news and I think it works both ways. I think it's a really interesting way to think about the afterlife in terms of that sort of what if the way of judging if you get into heaven was done by this sort of way and taking away what we uh often think or a a lot of different denominations at least of Christianity and and various other religions think about a a loving omniscient being that would welcome everybody in and this is obviously saying uh, that they wouldn't welcome everybody in um, and it's tight so I think it does an interesting thing of questioning religion in the afterlife by giving that idea to it um as i say a bit like you know pullman does with that sort of challenging those ideas um but equally the flip side it says a lot about immigration policy by pretending it is this thing about heaven because yeah you've got people who are forced to leave a place they can't go back to it for various reasons and they want somewhere where they will be safe and happy and not somewhere where they will be tortured and suffering so you know it's very poignant both ways to have that comparison um i thought and yeah so a really interesting listen in that sense but obviously a difficult one as well yeah i think that's good so we're gonna maybe get into slightly spoilery territory now Mm. so i think the central question that is asked of Morisachi, kind of the, the thing in which the trial hinges on is yeah. this central question. Did you try to change the world for the better? So that's the question that all applicants to heaven are going to be asked. And it'll, you know, whether the jury decides one way or the other is going to be uh, whether they're going to be allowed into heaven or not. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think about that as being the question? Yeah, so I have a lot of thoughts on that as being the question. Um, The first being that I think it is an interesting point to take, um, an interesting kind of central thing that this is all going to hinge around. That, yeah, the idea of being good is that you're trying to change the world, as you say, for the better, um, and that you're not wanting to stick with the current status quo, that you're not lazily sticking with that. And I liked the bit where it was saying about it can be very small things or it can be very big things, but the idea is that you're not just going to settle for what it is, you're going to try and change it. Um, However, I think that's very much at odds, literally, and it, it kind of talks about this, but literally with the word conservative. Um, When, yeah, if you look at the meaning of that... It is to conserve and to stay the same. And so I found it very uh, interesting that this is the thing that Maurice has decided is what makes you good or bad when it is at such odds with, yeah, the name that is given to the party that he's so involved in. Um, So, yes, I found that very interesting. I have more to say, but yeah, I wondered what your thoughts were on on those points. I I think it was, it's a fine enough question to kind of ask Mm-hmm. I think as kind of like whether or not you should be kind of allowed in or not. I think one of the things I wish he kind of maybe should have talked about more is 
what is the meaning of the word like better? Like what does mm. better look like for him? And he does get at that a little bit in terms of, you know, he kind of, he talks about social justice. One, one of the things he's quite passionate about is social mm-hmm. justice and kind of like um, tackling economic disparity. And I think later on, he also kind of, when he's especially in the sections where he's talking about his wife, about improving um, access to kind of medical yeah. care yeah. as well. So those are, for me, I agree with you. It was a little bit, like from my my point of view, my kind of, I'm, I'm a little bit left leaning. Um, <laughs> it's like his is just incongruent, really. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was just wondering while I was hearing it of you know wanting to know if he is conflicted with being under that banner of the word conservative. If his kind of ethos, motto, whatever for life is that the thing that makes you good is to look for change. Does that make a conflict? I mean, obviously, we know that words and certainly words that are used as names and labels um, can often stray a bit from what their dictionary definition is, right? I, I get that. But regardless, that is still the name that that party goes by. And that's what it holds as its values. So I found it very interesting that, yeah, it seems certainly that that Morris's values are, um, yeah, different to that. I'm wondering if he did have a conflict between those two things. And then, yeah, as you say about better, um, I thought that was really interesting. And this kind of goes on to my third point about this change thing, because during the trial scene, when the defendant is sort of trying to justify that they did want to create change in the world with their life and therefore deserve to go to heaven, it really made me think about how change can be framed as either progression or anarchy or kind of always two different sides of the spectrum. It can be good, it can be bad. Um, a lot of the arguments that the prosecutor uses sound very much like those that are used and have been used against people that um, make incredible positive change. Um, so things like racial issues, LGBTQ plus issues, climate change, you know, social inequality... There'll be a whole host of people who say that they're um, too radical, that they're troublemakers, uh, that these are just flights of fancy, that they're dangerous, all sorts of things like that. Either that you know, thankfully, people have pushed past and those guys have been proven wrong, amazing change has happened, or people that, you know, I personally support at the moment and can see, you know, the media, the press, other politicians lobbying these sorts of accusations um, against them. But then, like, on that framing, obviously some stuff will be bad change, you know? Some stuff will be causing trouble, you know? Not everything is good change, as, you know, explored in the very popular recent film Glass Onion, you know, just because you're a disruptor, changing things doesn't necessarily make you a good person. But this did really highlight both, as I said, how the same action can be really framed as good or as bad, and that just listening to that framing, to that really abstracted oversimplification of it, often, you know, by the media or by one particular political party or various things like that, can be so damaging, you know, to oversimplify it um, and just see these black and white good and bads um, and sometimes not even realising what the change that they're talking about is, the practical implications that it will have. And I mean, the simplifying it down is very much talked in here about kind of his political strategy that he put forward um, with the sort of slogans and stuff. And it does sort of, I think, bring up the, the damage that can be caused by simplifying, that it takes away that nuance of 
Um, yeah, seeing whether that changes for the better or not for the better. But yeah, I thought it was really, really fascinating, you know, crux to the book and made me really enjoy listening to it, but it poses a lot of questions, um, kind of more than answers. Yeah, I think one of the things that does happen kind of in the book is, from my point of view, the prosecution was kind of trying to minimise any change that he did have in the world is kind of like, oh, you, what we really actually did was just a bunch of like hot air. It didn't actually change mm. anything. Um, I wanted to kind of also pick up on the point you made about kind of, a, uh, so he's, he kind of, he's a very good communicator. Obviously that's kind of how he made his money and kind of how he's helped, you know, both political parties and, and commercial entities kind of reach their audience. Mm. Um, one of the things he does, kind of quite eloquently put is uh, people say, you know, uh, you know, it's just simple sloganeering, but one of the points he made was about uh, political speeches, unless you're able to kind of like pin down in kind of a couple of sentences, what a political speech is kind of what the, the mission yeah. statement, of, then kind of you've, you're basically, you've said like a whole load of nothing. You, know, you need to be, mm-hmm. there needs to be kind of a central point that's easily distilled. So I agree with you kind of like oversimplification can be like, a bad thing but it's also necessary um, I get you, as yeah. Well, yeah to a certain extent exactly yeah that I thought it was really interesting that this does kind of yeah it advocates for both sides effectively yeah. I think it, well I think it definitely advocates for the ways that simplifying things can be good um, and I mean even just you, you've touched on there the fact that you know you have a background in immigration laws and and stuff like that you will understand stuff about the news way more than i will you know and so there is definitely importance to simplifying stuff so that people can understand and people can make their own choices and make their own mind up on what is good and what is bad what is better and what is worse right um but yeah, as well as this book also showing, or, you know, perhaps that's my interpretation of it from, like I say, making those connections with complaints that have been raised against people in the past and change that's happened in the past. It does flag how oversimplifying can also be damaging as well by putting stuff down to just, is it change, um, can be a worry. But it is an interesting thing to pin it on, that idea that just moving forward and changing is inherently better than settling yeah yeah so it's kind of interesting like one of the things that you mentioned was him being like a troublemaker and uh i think one of the central tenets is not to go with the flow is to stand up uh against injustice i guess Mm. wherever you find it and i've been reading a little bit about kind of the difference between kind of like broadly eastern philosophies and broadly western philosophies and eastern philosophies kind of like there's this famous japanese phrase kind of like the nail that stands up is the first one to get hammered down sort Mm. of thing and it's much more about kind of like being part of a cohesive whole to achieve something greater and is it's kind of interesting how this is very much more like a western kind of approach to things where it's about kind of like what the individual can achieve Mm. and what kind of individual achievement rather than kind of like um achieving something together as a whole if that makes Mm -hmm. sense i thought that was kind of an interesting insight to maybe his political or his philosophical approach yeah um yeah no definitely no i think so that's a very interesting point and i think as well it's very obvious this is a very personal book 
you know, the author has made himself the protagonist in it, or, you know, at least the main character in this story. And it's very much his own interrogation of his own morality, you know, as being the author of it. He is both the prosecutor and the defendant. You know, you can imagine that he, you know, is having these debates with himself you know, as he tries to go to sleep at night kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like, you can really tell that this is someone's own thought process behind, am I a good person? What have I done with my life? Have I done the right things with my life? Um, And that's all very interesting, though drawbacks to it are obviously that in connection with what you just said, it is very about the individual because it's very much just interrogating within himself. And I also felt it meant that I'm not sure quite how robust the arguments in that trial thing necessarily were. Like, yeah. just thinking of it as a debate. Um, but I think I wouldn't want to tear that down too much yeah. because this is a man personally just trying to figure it out in his own head. Yeah. You know, it's not a structured debate it, yeah. it, of, of something outside of people. It is someone's own rationalization. And, you know, we all do this of, you know, you have that voice in your head telling you that you're terrible and you've you've done stuff wrong and you're a bad person. And, you know, and the other voices that are saying, actually, no, I did the right thing there and I had the right intentions there. And, you know, it, it's all that sort of doubt. And I think it's more that you can maybe forgive if you could come up with, you know, a better rebuttal to that point in the yeah. argument or stuff like that, that's that's less what it's about. It's less about it being about winning that debate, and it's more about yeah that interrogation and that personal, I guess, reassurance sort of that you need that you are doing okay and and that you can be happy with your own um, personality, your own choices, your own self. That yeah, I thought was really interesting. Um, it sort of connects with that and also a bit more of a trigger warning if, if we're going on to the my sort of issues with the yeah. interrogation is that how much that prosecutor, who we remember is a kind of angelic force in a sense in the story, I believe, you know, certainly tied with that kind of, um, you know, someone who can determine whether you go to heaven or not, using mental illness as a reason why someone is bad. Um, I felt very uncomfortable in those sections, especially because it wasn't talking about the things that were done or the intentions and talking about mental illness being a part of that. It seemed like they were making it very clear-cut as this person has a mental illness that makes them not good and makes them not eligible. And yeah, I felt very uncomfortable at those parts um, and so wanted to at least raise that. Yeah, that's yeah, that's quite that's quite interesting. It's not something that I... It's because it's interesting when I'm talking to you about books because there's certain things that you pick up on that I don't and that's mm. not something that I picked up on um, at all. And usually kind of, especially with issues around mental illness, I'm quite sensitive mm. to that sort of stuff. So yeah, that's yeah, that's definitely an interesting point to raise. Let's kind of move on from the trial yeah. bit, if that's okay, because I think mm. the book for me is essentially split into two parts. Kind of the, you know, the first half is about the trial, and then the second part really is this really affecting love story. Kind of like he kind of like waxes lyrical about how dearly he misses his wife and um, yeah. how much in love with his wife he was, and he kind of beautifully writes and narrates. Mm-hmm. the gaping hole that it's kind of left in his life and how yeah. marvellous he felt that his wife was. Yeah. How did you kind of um, feel about that section? 
Yeah, so I was nervous about it when it was coming up, the sort of a lead up that kind of tells you that this is the shift that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, and I was a bit unsure how it went. But yeah, um, I did find it really powerful. And yeah, shows that sort of his main motivation for wanting to get into heaven is wanting to be reunited with her, basically. Um, and yeah, that was all really touching. And um I feel like we've only been talking about it recently with, uh, I think, different people in my life, but it, it's kind of come up about feelings on the afterlife and stuff like that. And there's definitely a part of me that needs to believe that I can be reunited with those that I've lost um, is is definitely a powerful um, force and thing in that. So, yeah, that's definitely affecting and i think it was well done um in this book and i also think changing tone slightly and we'll switch back a bit but it's also interesting how it focuses quite a bit um not quite a bit a decent amount on his sexual urges um not in a in a sort of grotesque way but as in it talks about the idea that um well firstly it uses that as a way to determine how in love he was with her as to whether, you know, he was having affairs, whether he just thought about her in that way or other people, which is, you know, an interesting concept in itself as a, as a way of judging what love is. But also the idea that in the afterlife, because you don't have a physical presence, you also don't have that. Um, and it's something that I've toyed with for quite a while, is that the idea that if heaven's such a wonderful place, and yet it doesn't have the bodily pleasures of the world you know you've got that and I remember thinking when I was in high school because there was a friend of mine who like it was very obvious that she always wanted to be a mother she was definitely you know she was going to have kids and she was going to look after kids and this was kind of her life's purpose um and there was something then I I mean I went to a, a Catholic high school which is probably partly why I then connected that with with thoughts about the afterlife but I remember thinking in my head that it would be a kind of sad afterlife for her because she wouldn't be having more kids, you know, at the very least she wouldn't be pregnant with them. And I know that was something she was looking forward to as well as as that physical part. So yeah, I thought, again, it's not as big of a part of the book as I'm making it out to be, but I thought it was interesting, that idea of, you know, heaven being a great, wonderful place, but also you don't have a lot of the pleasures that you do have in yeah. the in the real world um if you want to look at it uh, that way i don't know if you had any thoughts on that before we continue um, with the, the love part but i i again that's not something that kind of like yeah. <laughs> pricked my pricked my attention yeah, yeah um too much um yeah yeah i don't really have too many kind of like thoughts, thoughts no that's fair yeah, and yeah, as yeah, i say yeah, i think yeah, it's yeah. very much because given that i could yeah. pin it back to that kind of specific high school memory i yeah. think that is something that i was uh very much myself uh in tune to and yeah. um, but yeah and certainly going on about the the love stuff and how he wants to be reunited and what you say about how he writes it well and also narrates it well and um, i thought it was really important to point out here how you can really hear that emotion in the performance and you can hear Uh, as well as it in the performance, as in, you know, what emotion he gives to it, you can also hear how much it's affected him back. You know, you can hear the lump in your throat. It very much reminded me um, of Small that we listened to and how we talked about the fact that you could tell they got upset in the studio. And while that's, you know, you don't want to be pleasuring in someone getting upset, it's a really powerful thing that the audio brings that you can hear how much it genuinely has affected the author narrator, that they are struggling to read those sections out in front of the mic. Yeah, I think that especially comes across in the sections where he's talking about his late wife's cancer treatments yeah. 
and how you can kind of tell he's still quite angry about the way yeah. that um the doctors handled that situation and you know you can kind of tell there's a lot of passion in there about him specifically wanting there to be like a better standard of care and kind of like yeah i found that that section uh particular i think like his emotions came across really powerfully mm. there yeah yeah, and I also thought that um, going on to the, the narration and performance stuff, that it was really good in the trial as well. You know, you could hear, like you said about passion, you could hear the passion when he was being the, the prosecutor. You know, that was really emphatic. And I also felt like you could hear some kind of sarcasmness in it. So kind of like before the trial, his wife is like prepping him of like, you're going to need to make a case for yourself that, you know, that this was all for good and that the attentions were pure kind of thing. Um, and I sort of feel like at the beginning of the trial where he's kind of over-egging that is kind of how I heard it. And that kind of like, um, I just had a call to fight for fairness sounded a bit sarcastic the way you said it, you know, in that he, he knew that he wasn't actually talking about his genuine motivations, not saying that he didn't see them as good, but that he was over-egging, I guess, the purity of them. Um, and yeah, basically just saying that I thought the performance was really good in that section as well as in general, to have those kind of nuances um, that you could, you know, you could yourself add to the text, but you're not necessarily given by the written word that I thought was really good as, yeah, for it just working well in audio for that reason, as well as Maurice doing a great job of bringing that to it. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree with you. I also wanted to talk as well how I think it works really well in audio for the fact that it feels very much like a play. Um, yes. And yeah. I wonder if, I think it is mentioned kind of his late wife's love of plays poetry, and theatre yeah. as well as poetry. So yeah. yeah, exactly. And I wonder if it was inspired, you know, by some of that, but it felt very play structured to me. Um, it's very dialogue heavy. And in that way lends itself very well to being a kind of play. I did feel a little bit like I was sitting watching a play. I think the length does lend into that. You know, it is sort of a play length piece. Yeah. Um, and I could very much see this being something that you would go to the theatre to experience, you know, sort of seeing the staging and especially with the, um, the majority of it taking place in this kind of courtroom thing. Um, it was very play-y. So I feel like if you've got a, a theatrical bent to you, then you'd take a lot that you could really appreciate from this. Um, as well. And also, I thought it was interesting because with a lot of dialogue, um, it's also written literally, uh, you know, play-wise in the sense that you've got, you know, the person speaking colon, you know, as opposed to lots of he said, she saids. And I thought it was interesting, and I can't decide how I feel about it, the way that they did that in the audio, because I think it sort of had, there was quite a while where they included those, so before every line of dialogue, it had the name of the person who was saying it, line of dialogue, name, dialogue, name, you know what I mean? Yeah. And then they sort of, when I guess when they felt you'd got into the swing of it enough, that fell out, and then maybe when it needed clarifying a bit more, they came back in. Um, and yeah, I'm making an assumption that they didn't just read what was in the print. I haven't seen the print. I don't yeah. know. Um, but yeah, I think on the majority of it, I felt that worked quite well because I felt you did know who was speaking, but you also weren't constantly interrupted by this person, that person, that person. Um, so yeah, maybe I'd have slightly done the balance slightly different. Maybe it was a bit long at the start where it still had each one but i thought in general that was a really good way of doing it um in the audio and that that sounded quite good that it flowed quite well and that yeah it felt like you were listening to the play rather than 
having the screenplay read to you, I guess. As, yeah, I mean, uh, you, you could definitely see this maybe as like a, a, a one-man play, something mm. like that. I think the other word that I've got kind of jotted down is like polemic as well as kind of, it's a very kind of a rhetorical approach to mm. um, certainly around the issues of kind of medical care. He also kind of speaks quite strongly in defence of like, for lack of a better phrase, like political attacks in terms of like politics needs to operate the way that it operates for this reason as well. And he puts a defence around that as well. Um, are there any kind of other points that you wanted to speak about? I think that was kind of most of it. Yeah, yeah. I think um, it's a really interesting concept in itself of the the immigration afterlife setup. It was really interesting to have the criteria be wanting change and the love stuff, the drive of getting to the afterlife to be reunited with his wife is really compelling. So yeah, they're sort of the plot points of the book, which I found really fascinating. And as I said, no matter what your views are politically, morally, stuff like that, they're all really either interesting questions or things that can really spark emotion in you that I thought was really great about this. And then, yeah, I thought it worked great in the audio. Um, I think there were a few kind of glitchy bits in it and a bit where the volume ebbed in and out. I don't know if that's the review copy we had or, or what, but yeah, it yeah. wasn't the tightest in that kind of way, yeah. in, in quality-wise. But yeah. Um, yeah, you could kind of tell where they kind of spliced two sections together occasionally so yeah i definitely agree yeah with that, yeah. yeah if that's something that's going to bother you it's something to be aware of that yeah it's not the most polished um in that sense but i really enjoyed listening to it i think the audio like i said just then about the play is a great way to enjoy this to experience this um f- for all those reasons and also i think as well as the good performance we talked about i think morris actually has a really great voice to listen to yeah. um it was quite julian clary is sort of what it reminded what his voice reminded me of oh um, that's interesting very yeah. much in a positive way but yeah that was the um voice that kind of came to me and you know i could listen to him you know narrating a lot of stuff anyway so i thought he um yeah has a really lovely voice to listen to uh just in general anyway so yeah, yeah. cool so um let's maybe give our final thoughts on this I don't know how I feel about this book. Um, mm-hmm. I think you know the, the stuff that you're mentioning about being kind of quite thought-provoking in terms mm. of the questions he asks about, you know, have you done anything to try and change the world for the better? And then there's a lot of stuff that I agreed with in terms of like his passion for like social justice and mm-hmm. attacking the inequality. It's just, for me, I couldn't separate what my approach to yeah. solving that problem would be yeah. to compared to what his approach would be yeah. so I, I really struggled with those sections um he's a very persuasive guy so you can kind of understand mm-hmm. why he's achieved what he's achieved but just for me i couldn't kind of separate like my political leanings against kind of like what he's done and what he was saying yeah. like the incongruity was just a little bit too strong what mm-hmm. i would say the second half of the book is a really touching love story and kind of really touching um way of you know just an insight into how painful losing someone can be mm. and what that can kind of spur you on to um, do as well. And how powerful that drive to be reunited with someone yeah. can be as well. So I think he narrates the book beautifully. I'm not too sh- I It's only two hours long, less than two hours long. <laughs> I think it's definitely worth checking out uh, for that reason alone. This is kind of like, I listened to this while I was um, on holiday so mm. yeah, definitely kind of, if you're just sitting on the beach, it's a pleasant enough thing to listen to. I'm not too sure I can, yeah, I don't know how I feel about it. Yeah. So that's a bit of a wishy-washy um, <laughs> review. Sorry. Yeah. 
No, no, don't be sorry. And because I yeah. completely get what you mean. I also really struggled with that. And especially because effectively the case of this book is asking the listener to see him as a good person. Yeah. Um, it, you know, effectively, if you want to really boil it down, as we're saying, oversimplifying it. Um, and that does bring some discomfort especially when the political allegiances are brought so much to the yeah. fore um and like i said there were other parts of it um throughout that i was uncomfortable listening to however i really did like the thoughts that it sparked yeah. in me you know even if i wasn't agreeing with stuff i thought it was interesting ways of looking at things um and whether i was either opening my mind to look at something the way that he'd posed me looking at it or if i was taking something that was said and doing my own analysis on what he might not have realized he meant by it or what other meaning there might be behind it or what other you know implications it has um i thought it was a really interesting thing to listen and so yeah i also think it is worth listening to i think you can take a lot from it but i can fully see why you're struggling to you know praise it when there is that real um yeah moral dilemma it's a book about morality yeah. and therefore our personal morality and our judgment on it is going to come into that yeah um, and how we feel about it so yeah it's an interesting one in terms of plot it's a great one in terms of um it being right for the audio format and being a really great performance a nice one uh, voice wise to listen to but yeah it's got some things in it that you might not uh agree with and yeah. it's okay either if you yeah you just straight up i don't agree with that or if you use that as a way of thinking around something else or or whatever yeah. so yeah that's great um so i think that's our, our review done um so we've got some really exciting yeah. news yeah so we're once again partnering this year with the british book awards uh we'll be um covering their non-fiction audiobook list this year uh by the time this episode goes out the nominations would have been announced how do you feel about um, partnering with the British Book Awards again, Poppy? Yeah, really excited. Um, so glad that they reached out to us again and looking forward to it. It's going to be really good. I hope you guys enjoy too. And as always, guys, if you've got any questions, recommendations, you can contact us on social media at audiobookishpod or on email at audiobookishpod at gmail.com. And if you can leave a rating or review wherever you find us, that will also be really helpful. Thank you very much for listening to the episode. Let's say bye, Poppy. Bye. Bye. <laughs>